Much of the writings and the letters the Apostle Paul wrote that we have in the scriptures came to us from when he was in prison. Those are not those are not good circumstances to be under. And one of those letters of the letter to the Philippians, we have a lot of very familiar verses that are very well known uh, to those familiar with Scripture. Philippians chapter 4 contains one of those well-known familiar verses. In it, the Apostle Paul says this, I've learned that in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be content. A very startling claim from a man writing from prison. Think on your circumstances of your life that you are in today and how those circumstances might have changed over the past 18 months to bring you to where you are now. Are you content with life as it is? Psalm 16, verse 5 and verse 6 is going to take our attention today. And these two verses are about contentment. Contentment, being satisfied in the Lord despite my circumstances. For the Christian, true contentment is less about the circumstances that we are in, and more about the quality of God's character to us in those circumstances so that we can say, I'm satisfied in the Lord. So today, we want to learn from Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6, more of the quality of God's character so that we can learn contentment in our circumstances. Psalm 16, verse 5 to verse 6 specifies three qualities of God's character that we must believe in order to learn to be content with life as it is. Three qualities of God's character we must believe in order to learn to be content with life as it is. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 together again. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The first quality of God's character is found in the claim by David that the Lord is my chosen portion. By claiming the Lord as his only portion, he's explaining to us that God is our source of strength. That's the first quality of God's character that we need to believe. The Lord is my only strength. When he uses the term chosen portion there, he's using a term that describes the, uh, the food that would have been given 
as a portion uh, to the Levites who were serving at the temple. Psalm 16 was written by King David, but it was likely sung by temple priests. The temple priests were part of the tribe of Levi, one of the tribes of Israel, and they were uniquely chosen as the only tribe who were qualified by God to serve at his temple, to offer sacrifices, to teach the law, to keep the gate, to do God's work there. And because of their unique responsibility as priests, the rest of the nation was responsible to be able to provide the physical needs for them as they served life and led worship in the temple. Their chosen portion was the food that was allotted to them by the donations provided from the other tribes. When David thinks on what's going to give him strength for life and enable him to live a life for worship, he thinks on the food that the Levites were given. As food is needed for the body to nourish us with strength, so the Lord himself is the nourishing strength that he recognized he needed for his soul to live a life of service and worship with contentment to God. For his soul, he knew that food was needed, but the Lord himself was needed anymore. He not only describes the Lord as the chosen portion, but he also describes the Lord as the cup. This teaches us the second quality of God's character. Not only is the Lord my only strength, but as a cup, David is saying that the Lord is his true joy. In order to learn to be content with life as it is, I must believe that the Lord is my only strength and that the Lord is my true joy. Now, when David thinks about a cup, he's not describing like an empty cup, right? He's describing the drink that you would put in the cup. The Stanley Cup is a ceremonial trophy given to the victors of the NHL playoffs, but it's not just a ceremonial trophy. It's a cup that people actually drink champagne or other beverages out of. Not that I would know much of that being a Leafs fan, but it's, it's not just an empty cup. It's something that you can put liquid into to drink out of. And when David's describing the Lord as this cup, he's not just thinking about the vessel, he's thinking about the liquid, and he's likely thinking of a cup of wine. Now, wine is described in scripture as being um, a celebratory drink for unique times and even being compared to other types of pleasures in unique circumstances. Wine was uh, used to celebrate uh, the harvest when God would provide the uh, fruit of the season and they would bring it in and they would rejoice with wine. Wine was drank at religious holidays as well. Wine is used to describe the sweetness of romantic pleasure. Wine is said that when it's drank, it cheers and gladdens the heart. So, understand that David's talking about God being his cup and a cup of wine. This is a, a metaphor. This is a comparison. Just as the Lord is his only chosen portion and the nourishment for his soul, the strength of his soul, so the Lord as a cup of wine is also the delight, the pleasure, 
and the joys of his soul. And we see him describe his experience of this joy in verse 9 and verse 11. Look at it with me there. He says, Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Look at verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about your relationship with the Lord right now. Think about the way that you interact with God or don't. Think about where you're looking to find happiness in your life. Can you say that the Lord is your chosen portion? That he's your cup? You may believe this in your mind, but with the way you live your life, is the Lord really your only strength? Is he your true joy? Or do you feel a little bit of spiritual hunger pains these days? If you could have one meal for every dinner this upcoming week, what would it be? What would be the thing that you could have? You're like, if I could have this for every meal this week, I would want lasagna. That's actually me and my daughter's favorite meal. This fact, she actually helps me make lasagna. Try to teach someone else in the church how to do it. I think he's doing a good job with it. My meal this past summer that I had a lot more than anything else was uh, cheeseburgers. And when I was younger, I would have like, uh, like, the, the, like the frozen cheeseburgers out of the box. But now I really like making homemade burgers. And as, as homemade as I can make it, like I haven't got to the point of grinding the beef yet, but I'm close. Like I have the tools, I can do it. But I do form the patties myself. We, we actually cook, uh, bake the buns ourselves. And I have this like chipotle barbecue sauce that goes perfectly on it. And this summer, we had these homemade burgers all the time. And I, the, the, the nourishing, delicious, very good meal. Now, over the summer also, just to be able to better portion control and manage calories, I tried intermittent fasting. It worked just to be able to manage cal calories and help with diet. I'm not doing it right now. But with intermittent fasting, you're just like having a large chunk of time where you're not eating. And uh, I skipped breakfast, and I got used to skipping breakfast. But by the time lunch came around, I had a reasonable meal. But because I was working normally, just enough to get me through and then move on. So by the time dinner came along, when I was intermittent fasting, like, like the hunger pains were real. I was hungry. And hunger pains are good. It's painful. It hurts. But it's your body's way of telling you that you need nourishment, right? But it's a good thing. Yet, so many of us may feel like we're spiritually malnourished. The weariness that you feel, the exhaustion that you feel, the delight that you want to have and the cravings that you look for that satisfy for a moment and then are so fleeting may be God trying to grip your attention to show you 
that your soul is starving for him. That though you may say in your head that he's your only strength and your true joy, you're not treating him like your chosen portion. And you got something else in your cup. David learned to be content with life as it was because he believed the Lord was his only strength and his true joy. Yet when we are looking for our strength and joy from people and things apart from the Lord, it's never going to satisfy. In fact, it might end up compounding the initial sorrows that we feel that we thought these things would satisfy in the first place. David himself was seeking to be a faithful worshiper, yet he lived in a time where a lot of people would say with their mouths the things that David would say, but would live with their lives something differently. We actually see that in verse 1 to 4. David says, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints of the land are those who are joining in faithful worship with David. They don't just say it with their mouths, they believe it with their hearts, and they live it with their lives. Yet, verse 4 says that there are some who are not living that way. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. What are the false gods that you are running after that you think will nourish you and satisfy you to live a life of contentment? Maybe you're relying on these things in your reputation, like through your work ethic or your Christian service or your body image. Maybe for you, you're looking through this by having a comfortable, easy life through a sense of financial security or having the new and the latest thing or, or by being in a relationship. Now, these things are not themselves necessarily bad things. And they may indeed give us a sense of happiness for the moment and alleviate stress when you're overwhelmed. But to learn to be content with life as it is to be satisfied in our circumstances, especially when unexpected suffering arises and hits us like a ton of bricks. None of these things will truly give you contentment. And in the end, when we seek these things apart from the Lord, they may end up just multiplying the sorrows that we have. But like David, when we believe these things, and live these things, we can experience these things to truly find nourishment when we're weary, to truly find joy when life is hard. Commentator Matthew Henry says this about Psalm 16, 5 and 6. He says, Gracious persons, though they still covet, they desire, though they still covet more of God, never covet more than God. But being satisfied in his loving kindness, they are abundantly satisfied with it and account themselves truly happy in what they have. Can you say that? 
there have been times even in the past two weeks, even in this past week, where I haven't been able to say that. Maybe you feel weary. Maybe you feel dry. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe these are the hunger pains of the soul that the Lord is using to try to get your attention, to show you that you've been binging on spiritual Cheetos and Pepsi when there's a feast waiting for you at the table of the Lord's presence. If you want to learn to be content with life as it is, if you want the strength and the joy that comes from the Lord, then feel the hunger pains and sink the teeth of your faith into the Lord in who he is. Eat richly from his word. Drink deeply in prayer. Feast on mutual Christian fellowship. And you'll be able to experience what David says in Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. As with all the cheeseburgers and lasagna my body can take. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. See, that's the end of being satisfied. Not just to be content with life, to be at ease, but so that in your contentment you can return rejoicing and praise to God for who he is and what he provides for you. And maybe that's why you're not content because you're even looking to use God to satisfy your own needs like you're the master and he's the servant. But he wants you in your contentment to return praise to him as your Lord. And this can feel like it's hard to grab onto. And when you have it, it's hard to keep. Contentment, to be satisfied in our circumstances because circumstances come and go we can have seasons of ease and seasons of want, seasons of pleasure and seasons of hardship. Finding contentment is a journey of up and downs because our circumstances are filled with up and downs. But we can be content with life as it is when we believe the Lord is our only strength, when we believe that he's our true joy, and when we trust that the Lord orders all of my days. This is the third quality of God's character we learn from Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 again with me. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. What is a lot? Let's pull our minds back into the history of Scripture and remember um, how Israel got into the promised land. Israel was in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. The Lord sent Moses as a deliverer, and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord brought them out. But then because of their faithlessness, they wandered for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. At the end of those 40 years, Moses' leadership ended, and God brought a new leader to bring his people into the promised land, Joshua. And when the tribes came into the promised land, this was their inheritance. This was their blessing. This is where they and their offspring could remain in prosperity forever, where they could be with the presence of God, where they, if they follow God's way in God's covenant, they would have paradise restored. We knew that eventually didn't come to pass. But in order for them to get their share of the land, the tribes were distributed their territory by the casting of lots. So a lot was like a, um, a pebble or some kind of a little artifact with multiple sides. 
And in the old covenant, when the people of God were trying to reach a decision, but there was equally valid uh, decisions available, they would mark each one of the uh, sides of the lot as representing one of the equally valid decisions. It's not a good comparison, but just like think of dice, right? And that's what they would do. They would take the multi-sided pebble, whatever, throw it, the lot to the ground, and however the lot landed, that decision was final. Proverbs 16, verse 33 describes this. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. David is remembering how the lot was used to determine to distribute the land for the tribes. But then he thinks about that, and then he considers his own life. And he thinks about the way his life has landed and all the circumstances that have come. And like the lot... What seems like random chance was actually a decision that was guided and brought about by the Lord. This is key to finding contentment. And in my experience through my own life personally and pastoring other people through challenging seasons of suffering in their lives, this is the biggest hurdle for most people to be able to find contentment. To truly believe that the Lord orders all my days. To believe in your heart that what might seem like circumstances of random chance are actually divinely guided by a good God who loves you and is working for your good. Can you say that about your life? Now, let's think about King David's life before we look at our own lives. Because by golly, this man had a life that was pretty chaotic. David. His life started as a shepherd. The youngest son who was treated like the runt of the litter. Overlooked by his father. Overshadowed by his brothers. That was his childhood. But then the Lord chose him to be king. He defeated Goliath, got married, and then his father-in-law Saul, for years, was chasing him around for threat of his very life, trying to kill him. His father-in-law. Years later, he has a son, Absalom, and Absalom starts to turn the nation against David. And then with his beautiful, long, flowing hair, convinces them that he is the right king and then conspires an insurrection and a civil war against his father. And he's in hiding again. And then evidently in some circumstances when he writes Psalm 16, his life is being threatened once more. In the beginning of the verse, he says, preserve me, O God, in you I take refuge. Yet still, in all of this chaos, be in circumstances beyond his control, somehow he's able to look at all of it and say, you hold my lot. You order my days. So now let's think about our own lives. Think about what you've gone through over the past five years. All right, let's just start with that time frame. 2016. 
What was happening in the world in 2016? Let's try and reorient our minds back into 2016. What was happening in pop culture in 2016? 2016, Captain America Civil War was the highest grossing film of the box offices. And now we've had dozens more Marvel movies since then, and we'll have many more after. Um, Sports. 2016, only five years ago, uh, LeBron James was playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, was down three games to one, and came back to winning game seven against the Golden State Warriors. Politics. 2016, five years ago, was when the UK had their vote to see whether or not they were going to leave the EU, which we've come to know as Brexit, five years ago. 2016, also locally here in Canada, was when all those wildfires happened in Fort McMurray. Remember that? 80,000 people had to be evacuated from their homes as the city and the forest around it went up in a blaze. Five years ago for me, I was the director of youth and young adult ministries at another church in the GTA. My wife had just finished her Bachelor of Education, was struggling to get a job as a teacher, and she was working as a nanny. We were living in a basement apartment, no kids, and had a lot of student debt that we were paying down. Since then, we've moved twice. I've had five different ministry roles at now two different churches. My wife probably has a more accurate count, but I think she's worked for eight different employers during that time. We had two kids within the span of like 16 months. And now that my oldest is almost turning four, we finally only have to put two green bin, one green bin out at the end of the driveway because there's finally less diapers that we're putting into the, the diaper genie. What was life like for you five years ago? Think about even before that, five years before that, 2011, or even 10 years before that, in 2001. And where do you find yourself today? Are you able to say with trusting, confident faith, God holds my lot. You order all my days. This is one of the biggest hurdles for most people to be able to learn to be content with life as it is. Because when we think about our past, it feels like a straitjacket. Like we're, our arms are tied back, things have happened to me beyond my control, I have no sense of agency, and, and it's just holding me back from being able to live the life I want to. And if I only had my way, I could be content. And so many, so many things have happened to us that it feels like a ball and chain and we're weighed down by regret, by shame, by despair, by resentment, by disappointed. We feel like there's no future no hope, and we think, how am I supposed to be content with life as it is, with my past as it is, with my health as it is, with my family as it is, with my relationship with my kids as it is, with my job as it is, with my lack of relationship as it is. How am I supposed to be content here? How was David able to be content with everything that he went through? Well, I believe that he gives us a hint that shows us that he was holding firm to distinct promises that God made to him. And his faith in those promises were able to give him the faith to believe that God was ordering all his days, even in the chaos. 
Look at verse verse 10 with me there. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. That term Holy One is the term um, Anointed One. David is referring to himself as the anointed king of Israel. And he's saying that he's remembering promises that God made to him. Promises of love and promises of loyalty. These promises are actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where God promised to him in loyalty that he and one of his sons would always abide as a king in Israel. And promises of loyalty and promises of love. That God would be a father to David and to his sons. And that he would love them and preserve them and protect them. So David is remembering that he is the anointed one. He's praying for God to give him refuge and to preserve him because his life is being threatened again. Evidently, it's being so threatened that he believed Sheol, the grave, death, was a real possibility of his circumstances. But even amongst that threat... He remembers the promises of love and loyalty that God gave to him. And that even if the worst of all things, death, came about, the Lord would not abandon him. Now, we know that David did die. This psalm, Psalm 10, isn't really about David. It's about the true son of David who would come in generations, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, from the line of David, who is the true king in Israel. The true king of the world. And God allowed his only son, Jesus, the son of David, he allowed Jesus to experience death. But this passage here, Psalm 16, verse 10, is used in Acts to prove that Jesus, as the son of David, would die, but rise from the dead. And Jesus went to the cross to die willingly as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could be forgiven and restored to the Father. So the promises of love and loyalty are ultimately really fulfilled in Christ, that God loves you and will never leave you. And if you have believed in Christ, these same sure promises of love and loyalty have been made to you so that even if the worst might happen to you. God has not forsaken you. And God is still with you. And no matter what you are coming out of or what you are living through, because you are in Christ, you can have the confidence where the Lord is ordering your days toward. And we see that confident promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, this is where the Lord is ordering your days towards. Whatever God has brought you through, this is where he's bringing you to. Working all things together for your good. In your circumstances now, conforming you to the image of Christ. And then when Christ returns, that you will be made new and an imperishable and immortal resurrected body with him in paradise forever. God is ordering all your days. Can you see it 
today. Until you're able to. Until I'm able to. Finding true contentment will always be a, a big hurdle. But this is our hope in our suffering. The deeper life digs you into its pit of pain, the closer you can get to mining out greater hidden treasures in the gospel. Because when we suffer, Christ is suffering with us. Believe the Lord is ordering all your days. The Lord is your only strength and your true joy. And when you do, you can learn to be content with life as it is. So as we bring our time to a close, I want to just, I want to ask, what does that look like? And how can we get it? What does content me, contentment actually look like? And how does, what does it look like to learn it? Because seeing people who are really content when you're not, can kind of be frustrating and annoying because you know what they're going through. You know what's happening in their health. You know what they're going through in their job or lack of job. You know what's happening in their family and somehow they're satisfied in their circumstances. It's kind of frustrating and a little annoying because you have no business being like that right now. It feels like a different language. And that's actually kind of what learning contentment is like. It's like being forced to learn a new language. Imagine being airdropped into a country with a different culture and a different language of what you don't know, and now you have a home address in it and you can't leave. That's sometimes how our circumstances come about us. But eventually we realize we can't change circumstances. This is where I live. And at first you had no idea how people are learning, talking, and you don't know how to just get along here, but... These qualities of God's character are like an interpreter that can help us learn the language of contentment. The more we are anchored to the truth of the quality of God's character, he is my only strength, he is my true joy, he is ordering my days, the more this interprets our circumstances, the more we can learn contentment. It takes time. And verse 6 shows us what it looks like. Contentment looks like two things. First, it looks like accepting God-given limits. Look at verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. David's thinking again about the boundaries of the territories of the tribes. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. The boundary in the territory of Judah is different than the territory of Issachar. That's different than the territory of Dan. When you look at the boundaries of your life, what you have and what you don't have, are you thankful for what you have? Or are you jealous that there are things that you don't have? Contentment is able to look at what one has and what doesn't have to give thanks with gratitude for what we have and to not be resentful or jealous for what we don't have. Contentment Satisfied in our circumstance means accepting God-given limits and it means appreciating God's redeeming power. David looks at the lines, the boundary, and he looks inside and he says, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The land was their inheritance. But he's looking at his life and saying, if this is the life that I have and this is what's been given to me, even the broken things in it, I can see that it's beautiful. 
Because see, there are valleys and uh, places in the land where there may not be fruitful, but then there may be mountains that are beautiful in the land and very fruitful places for harvest. But even in the broken places or the bountiful places, knowing that this is the inheritance that God has given me, I can see God's redeeming power. And in the bounty and through the brokenness, because God orders my days, I can see that it's beautiful. We need God and his character to learn these things through our circumstances. And when we live this in our hearts and with our conduct, believing that he is our only strength, our true joy, and that he orders our days, we can learn to be content with life as it is. Let's pray.